Amen. Thank you, ladies. Uh, appreciate that song. That ministered to me. And uh, it's one of my favorites. Actually, I didn't know they were singing that this morning, but glad they did. Uh, we're going to be in Mark 5, again, from the reading that uh, Caleb read. Thank you, Caleb, for that. Uh, Mark 5. So that song, uh, if that's... If that's real for you, if somebody does pray for you, that's, that's a really good thing. That's, that's something worth praising the Lord for. Um, that's something worth thanking that person for. And it's not a light thing for someone to bring you into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ through prayer. Um, and my sister sung that just then. I'm not going to tell you which one she is. She's the one that sounded the best. Um, and I know that she is someone that prays, and, some, and she te- texted me this morning, I'm praying for you. Um, and not just because I was preaching, like she's been praying for me for years. And yeah, I guess I also, just last night I was putting this together, and I'll tell you what, this is, this is probably the first message that I've put together that I've really just felt some resistance with and uh, struggled through it, battled through it um, and been praying through it. And so I was up very late last night and I have a friend in the States. um, So it was after midnight and I was still working on this. And I just said, hey, are you able to pray for me through this? I'm just struggling a bit. And I mentioned that because, you know, time zone over there, it wasn't like waking him up in the middle of the night. It was sometime during the day and uh, he's like yep and you know I went to prayer immediately and I guess I'm just saying like hearing that song and just thinking about prayer it's it's really good to thank those that pray for you uh, but also try and be that person for somebody else um, but that's not the message this morning so Mark 5 we're going to look at something completely different but I just wanted to mention that because I think that's good for us to think about and to be thankful for Uh, Mark 5, we're going to read some verses here in just a moment, um, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and just ask the Lord to help me and ask the Lord to help us, and uh, let's do that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness again. Uh, We thank you that we get to open your word this morning. Uh, We get to learn of you, and uh, Father, as a church, we get to grow uh, together I thank you for bringing each one here. Thank you for those who are watching online. And Lord, even for those who will hear this uh, later down the track, Lord God, at some stage. And uh, we just do pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning. Uh, Lord, we are aware that uh, there is an enemy that is against us, that is against you, Lord God. And uh, we, we feel the presence of that at times. And so, Father, we just ask for your protection on us as a church, on us as your people. Uh, but Lord, we do praise you for the fact that we... We get to meet together like this and we get to uh, minister one to another and be ministered to, Lord. Uh, Father, I do thank you, as we just mentioned, just for those that pray for us and uh, those that are influential in our lives, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us to be thankful for that and uh, to bring other people uh, before your throne through prayer, Lord. Uh, Father, we thank you. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I don't watch much TV. Uh, I watch other things, but not much TV, and I found myself getting sucked into a TV show that I really don't like. 
It's, well, not really the TV show I don't like, it's the kind of TV show I don't like. I don't like those uh, ones where, you know, they're going and, and digging for things and, uh, or it's like storage wars, like that kind of thing, or I really don't even like My Kitchen Rules or Block. I mean, pretty much every reality TV show I don't like, okay? Uh, so that's why I'm annoyed that I got sucked into to this show. Uh, it was one where they were digging for, like, gold or, like, treasures at the bottom of the sea, um, and so they had these like boats out there, there's a whole team of people, had this whole rig set up and they're basically looking for old shipwrecks and old treasure. Uh, real stuff, not make-believe, not you know, Captain Jack Sparrow kind of stuff, but real things uh, that are actually worth, worth money if you found it and you could uh, you know, clean it up and, and sell it. And I don't even know what the show was called, um, but I found myself being intrigued by how they did this. They basically had this like scuba divers go down to, to the sand, sand floor and then they had a big like hose, uh, a big tube that would like suck up everything that they were stirring up. So they'd stir up the sand and they'd get everything stirred up to try and dig deeper and deeper and they'd have metal detectors to try and find, you know, whatever they, whatever they could find, really. Um, and so all of that stuff, that grime and that gunk and rocks and sand and everything went up through this hose and then it came out on top in the ship somewhere where they would like go through it all and they would sift through it all and find hopefully some gold or some treasure or something like that. Um, so I'm intrigued by this. I hate all the like side bits that reality TV shows put in there, but I was just intrigued by it. But one thing that I noticed was when they were, the, the scuba divers at the bottom of the, of the sea there, and they, obviously they had underwater cameras, you can see everything, uh, they're stirring all this up and like all the sand is just floating around. It's like a big, massive cloud of stuff around them. And I thought, man, how do you see anything in all of that? And so like, you know, they're kind of like pushing it aside and trying to get some clarity and like sucking it up as they go. And it just, it just struck me the, the stirring that had to take place just to find one tiny little bit of gold. Like I'm talking like you wouldn't even be able to see it if I was holding it up. But all this stuff that had to be stirred up and moved around and pushed around and, and obscuring their vision and everything, but then they eventually found something that was worth taking and then it was valuable to them. And I just have this picture in my mind of all this sand floating through the sea and all of that was just for one tiny little thing, but one tiny little thing that was very valuable. And I want to talk to you this morning about spiritual stirring being stirred up. And I think our church has recently been going through a stirring phase, a stirring stage, a spiritual stirring, and I mean that in a good way, that God's been working in people's lives and just getting in there and doing stuff and moving things around, shifting things around, getting a little bit messy, but it's because there's something valuable to be taken from it. And we've seen a lot of things happening recently. And look, I understand, you know, I work here like every day of the week pretty much. And I see some things that you don't see, but then you see some things that I don't see. But I just felt really strongly that the Lord would have us look at this this morning because I think we have been going through a bit of stirring. But I also want to point out some things through this passage here about spiritual stirring. Some things that we can learn from spiritual stirring. So... I'm going to point you to Jesus just for a moment. I know we're going to look here in, in Mark 5 in his ministry at, uh, with the Gadarene demoniac here. But I've been looking through the Gospels recently um, and noticing how Jesus 
came to people and he challenged their thinking on a whole bunch of things. And really what he was doing was he was stirring up their idea of what Christianity and what their idea of God was. He was stirring up their idea of religion and church and and who the Messiah was, all these sorts of things. He really had a lot of spiritual conversations and that led to a lot of spiritual activity. And you see that all through the Gospels. You just read about Jesus, you'll see him going through and basically he's, he's stirring up. And not in a bad way, like, you know, a, a sister stirring up another sister, like trying to get them in trouble or anything like that. But he was going through and he was bringing things to people's attention and it was causing them to like move stuff around in their mind and think different things through their heart and, and see who he really was. And Jesus did this a lot. And, and his teachings were a challenge to many. His teachings were a heresy to some, and his teachings were a help to other people. And different people responded in different ways to this stirring. He caused people not just he caused people to think and not just to settle for how things settled. Because you think about it, over the period of time uh, of Jesus and before Jesus, uh, Christianity and, and the whole idea of the church and, and you know of the Messiah and all that kind of stuff. Everyone had been taught different things and even believed different things and they had the law to go on. And then Jesus comes in and finds that people have just settled for some form of Christianity. But not necessarily the form that they should settle for. Not necessarily the form that they should be following. And I think about it when I think that, that you know, under the water and the sand kind of like being uh, stirred up, eventually that's all going to settle and it's going to cover up the stuff that's valuable down there. And Jesus, through his ministry, he came across people who had let everything settle and there was still something valuable under there that hadn't been accessed. There was a resource there that hadn't been touched. And so Jesus, through his ministry, he made sure that when he spoke to people and what he did, that he was encouraging people not just to settle for what was comfortable or what just was easy or even what came naturally. He challenged people. He turned many heads and he challenged many hearts. And you look here in Mark chapter 5, uh, this is what happened with a, with a man possessed with many devils. Uh, Jesus handled this situation very differently than those that lived in the area. He came, on, he came onto the shores of, of that area and all, all of a sudden things started to get stirred up. Things started to happen. They started to, to, to happen differently than they had been for who knows how long that man had been living in the tombs doing what he was doing. And this is what Jesus did throughout the gospel. He stirred up people's approach to pretty much everything about God. So if you have a look in Matthew 5, verse... Uh, oh, sorry, not Matthew. You don't have to turn there. I've got this. Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus said this. He said, "'Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets.'" I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So everything that Jesus did, he wasn't trying to um, neglect or reject the Old Testament or anything that had come before him that God was doing through many years. He was saying, I'm not come to destroy that. I'm actually come to fulfill that. But to fulfill that, you have to think differently about things. You have to act differently about things. So to come to church today... You can't just go through your everyday, just settle into what's natural and normal for us as people. We actually have to think differently about things as Christians. So Jesus is doing a stirring and he's revealing 
that the way to God the Father was not by trying to follow the law, but he was shifting their attention to him as the Messiah, to him as the Saviour. And he did this in his earthly ministry. But guess what? He's doing that to us every single day. He's getting us to shift our attention to him and not just know about him and know things about him, but actually to realise that he is the one that we need every single day. So God is stirring and this stirring is God's power in action. It's God's working. It's God's heart. It's what he's about. God is continuously revealing himself to the unsaved. He's showing himself to those who need him. He's not hiding himself from them. And for those who are saved, he's actually challenging us, he's leading us, he's directing us. So he's continually doing this stirring. Matthew 10, 34, he says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. So Jesus, his whole ministry, and even now in the life of a Christian, he's not coming to give world peace. He's not coming just to make things comfortable. He's actually divisive. It's like you are on one side of Jesus or you're on the other side of Jesus. You agree with what he is all about or you don't. And so what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to stir up, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Hey, what do you think about church? Yeah, I know you're sitting here this morning. I'm here too. But even my thinking about church has to be stirred up sometimes. Even my thinking about my Christianity needs to be stirred up sometimes. So Jesus pretty clearly stated that for those who are spiritually asleep, he came to stir them awake. Now, if I'm, if I'm asleep and someone stirs me awake, it better be for a good reason. <laughs> I remember when the kids were young, probably like three, four years old, and they used to come in at like, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and look, I, I didn't get up at that time then, okay? But that was like my sleep time. So they would get come in at like 4.30, 5 o'clock, and they'd, you know, they'd usually go to Nicole first because, you know, she just dealt with that kind of stuff, and I would like, you know, just continue to sleep. But if they came around on my side and they'd, they'd wake me up and they'd be like, what, what's wrong? It's like, hi, Dad. Yeah, hi, what, what do you need? Is something wrong? No, just, I'm up. I guess I'm up. (laughs) And I'm like thinking, if you're going to wake me up, it better be because, you know, you vomited in your bed or, I don't know, there's a boogeyman outside. That was even better than just the fact that I'm just up, so now you need to be up. So we actually had to make a rule that, you know, if you don't see the sun, you can't get out of your room. (laughs) And that worked really well until recently. Um, No, now they just stay in bed forever. Um, But if you're going to wake me up, then it's got to be for a reason, and that's what God does. If you're going to stir someone up, it should be for a good reason, and God does that. If God's stirring, it's because there is more to get from us. Think about that. We sometimes think, oh, I'm giving a lot. I'm giving like as much as I can right now. But if he is stirring, that means there's more to give. There's more to be done for him. Like the song that we just heard, there's more that we can ask of him. There's more that we can pray about. But maybe it's also that there's more to understand about him. 
So I felt impressed to look at this today because I've noticed, like I said, some stirring recently. It's a good thing. And there's just three aspects of stirring I want to look at in Mark 5 with the Gadarene demoniac here. And uh, just, for, I guess, for a bit of a background, you might have gathered that Jesus and the disciples come into this area called the Gadarenes. They're met by this man who's possessed with at least 2,000 devils. At least. There's 2,000 swine they went into there and they got destroyed. So there's at least 2,000 devils inside this one man. Uh, verses 4 and 5 tell us that he lived in the cemetery. He was daily crying, wailing, cutting himself. And that those in the area tried actually to restrain him. They tried to chain him up and tame him, but he couldn't be tamed. And he kept breaking the chains. And we don't know how long this man suffered like this, but the passage kind of reads like it's, it's been a while. And Jesus' intention is to stir up some spiritual activity for the help of this man. And if you have a look in verse 8, this is Jesus speaking to the man, or rather speaking to the demons, the devils inside of him. Verse 8, For he, that's Jesus, said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. So Jesus talking directly to them. He wants to do a work in this man's life. So my first point is this, is that spiritual stirring brings spiritual opportunities. Spiritual stirring brings spiritual opportunities. Look at verse, verse 13. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. That's the demons inside of this man. He gave them leave. He said that they can go. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. So this man was relieved of his spiritual oppression and his spiritual torment, something that he'd been battling with for who knows how long. But what happened here is this stirring changed this man's life. Now, he didn't necessarily ask for it, but Jesus came in and stirred it up. And Jesus came in and stirred this man's life up and he had changed his life. And now this man had new opportunities. He had new opportunities to not just do what the demons inside of him told him to do, not just to act how they wanted him to act, not just to speak how they wanted him to speak, but he now had opportunity to think differently for himself. He had now opportunity to do things differently that were not caused by the demons inside of him, but by his own choice, by his own will, uh, but by, by, the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, whatever. He now had opportunity to do things differently because a stirring took place. And isn't that the work that Jesus has always been doing? coming in, stirring up our lives in a good way for us to think differently and act differently. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, I, I, it's, it's on my mind because it's something we've been going through in our Bible Institute. But Jesus sitting there and teaching the Sermon on the Mount and saying, you know, you've heard this, but I say this. You've heard these things, but I'm saying you should think about it like this. Like that's, that was challenging. That was challenging to the people back then, but that's challenging to us now. You know, you've heard that you shouldn't kill, you shouldn't murder, but if you hate your brother in your heart, then that's the same thing. That's challenging. That was Jesus stirring up people's ideas of Christianity and stirring up people's ideas of relationships. But this man now had a spiritual opportunity come to him. He now can think differently and do things differently. And we get that as Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about this also. This man had a relationship with this town. 
And by that I mean the people of the town, the people of the area. There was a relationship there. It wasn't really a good one. I mean, they, they came, I think it was verse 4, they came to try and bind him up. And he kept breaking the chains and he kept breaking the fetters and it didn't work. And he was like probably a nuisance to them, wailing and crying and cutting himself. And, you know, this is probably a very inconvenient thing for the townspeople, you know, probably somewhere that they didn't want to take people on a tour to. So there was a relationship this man had with the townspeople. But now that there's a spiritual stirring happening, there's actually, and I say this word, opportunity for a relationship to be restored between that man and the townspeople. There's an opportunity there. I'm not saying it necessarily happens, but there's an opportunity there. So even for us in church, there's a stirring that happens. There's opportunity for things to, to act differently, things to, for us to think differently, to do things differently. Restoration of relationship. What about the disciples? Consider them during all this. Well, they're not even mentioned. Yeah, but they came with him. They got out of the ship. They're with Jesus. They've been traveling with Jesus for a long time. They're learning of him. They're seeing everything that he does. They're not mentioned in these 20 verses here, but they're there. Now, there's a spiritual opportunity for them as well. So a stirring takes place. They're not just sitting there, you know, playing on their phones. Like some of us will. They're learning of Jesus. They're watching what's taking place. They're seeing this stirring happening and they're looking on going, okay, what's going to happen? It's like me, glued to the TV. Are they going to get the gold? <laughs> but the disciples are learning of Jesus here. This was for them to learn how to witness, how to grow. Uh, and then later on in Mark 6, they're seen casting out devils themselves. Maybe that's where they learned how to do it. Maybe. You know, in this church, we've seen some salvations here recently. Um, from the ones that I know, this is the ones, just the ones that I know. There's been about eight salvations since the start of the year. That's just the ones I know. That's one a month. That's pretty good. Now, you could argue, why well, it should be more than that. Well, I'll take the eight over zero. I'll take the eight over seven. But we've seen salvations here. That means there's been a stirring happening. But there's also been a stirring happening in those that are already saved, not just those who are not saved. There's been people that I've had communication with, and this is just the ones I've had communication with, that they're saying, I want to, I want to do some things differently. I now see things differently. God's actually been stirring my heart and teaching me some things and showing me some things and actually prompting me to act differently. That's a good thing. But in that we need to be aware that God's doing that so that we need to be encouraging that as well. Because you might not be the one getting saved. You might not be the one who's had, had the, the heart change and God's showing you some things, but you can be the one that encourages that stirring and encourages that growth. So the disciples are standing there. They're not the ones being released or relieved of spiritual oppression, but they can assist, they can help, they can learn from it, and they can you know, use that at some later point, like Mark chapter 6. So we get to be that. We get to do that. Every week there's spiritual opportunities to take for us in here. Because every week this, this word is opened. Every week, not just, through sun, not just on Sunday morning, 
not just at the 9 o'clock life group, not the 10.30 service only, not the 6 p.m. service as well. As There's the Wednesday night service. There's, you know, Bible um, studies, charge keepers. There's youth group. There's young adults. There's all sorts of things happening. There's ladies' prayer, men's prayer. There's just lots of stuff happening. There's spiritual input taking place. There's spiritual stirring taking place, but that means there's also opportunities taking place. So we actually get stirred up a lot. We get stirred up a lot, but we have to remember that we've got to respond to it. We've got to recognise it. Not just take it for granted, but do something about it. So the sermon on a Sunday is not just for you. It's for the person next to you. It's the person in front of you, behind you, around you. And we have to be thinking, hey, how can I help that person who's been stirred? Because you are being stirred. There's people in this room today being stirred. But there was people last week being stirred. And there's going to be people next week being stirred. So we have to see it like, okay, Jesus is doing a work here. What's my part to play in it? Whether it's you making the big decision or someone else. And what I'm saying, church, is let's get in, in, into each other's lives a little bit when the stirring takes place. Let's not just go, oh, it's nice that that's happening over there. Well, I'm just going to go off my you know, normal week and do my thing and hope that all works out for them. Let's look for opportunities to encourage that stirring, encourage that growth, to pray for somebody. And you might say, well, I don't know what's happening. Ask. Just ask. Go up to someone you don't talk to normally and ask, hey, is there anything I can pray for you for? Has the Lord stirred you about something? Or, hey, the Lord stirred me about something. Can you please pray for me? Let's not be strangers in the same building. So spiritual stirring by nature can seem disruptive, like the sand going up and going everywhere. And it probably is, but it brings with it opportunity to respond to God. Secondly, spiritual stirring brings spiritual opposition. Spiritual stirring brings spiritual opposition. Spiritual activity is often met with other spiritual activity. Have a look here in verses 6 and 7. Jesus gets on the shore and pretty much straight away, verse 6, but when he, that's the, the man possessed with the devils, saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? He knew. These demons knew who Jesus was. I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. These devils recognized Jesus from afar off and they were actually drawn to him. So if Jesus is like the epitome of you know, spirituality and spiritual activity, then he's drawing these other spiritual beings just by the nature of him being there. Spiritual activity draws spiritual activity. Good spiritual activity can draw good spiritual activity, but it can also draw some opposition. And like we would say, oh, demons, they're, an, they're, they're the opposition to you know, good spiritual things. Yes, they are. So when things are being stirred up here, spiritual activities here, don't be surprised that it's going to draw some other spiritual activity which is why we need to be like on guard, which is why we need to be praying for other people, which is why you need to talk to someone you don't normally talk to and go, are you struggling or can I pray for you? 
because spiritual activity is going to draw other spiritual activity. But, interestingly here, there was another group that opposed the work, and it wasn't the demons, it wasn't the devils. Verse 14 and 15, have a look here. It says, And they that fed the swine, so they saw all this happening, they fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. So the people feeding the swine saw this take place, saw this guy get relieved of his spiritual tormentors, go into the swine, and they ran down the hill, and these guys are going, well, guess we're out of work. Can't feed any more swine. Uh, I think I need to go tell my boss and tell everyone else, this guy just came on shore, and this just happened, and then everyone else came out to see what took place. Verse 15, And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion, because he doesn't have them anymore, sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Why were these people afraid? Makes no sense. Wouldn't they have been afraid of him before when he had the 2,000 devils inside of him? But it says now when they see him sitting there clothed and you know thinking for himself that they're afraid? I'm going to submit to you that they're afraid because things were different now and they don't like things that change. Like you and me. We don't like things that change. We like consistency. We like comfortability. Is that a word? Comfortability? It is now. I'm pretty sure they're afraid partly because they don't like change because change is challenging even good change you know this probably shook them up because it challenged them on their own need for jesus christ to do a work in their lives i'm not saying they were all possessed with devils themselves but you know when you see someone who's possessed with two thousand devils they're acting like this jesus comes along stirs things up and now they're sitting there like in their right mind that's going to challenge you on, hey, am I in my right mind? I'm pretty sure that was something that they were thinking. Maybe they were also convicted about how they were treating this man. I mean, like, they were probably trying to do their best, you know, tie him up so he's not a menace to society, but they probably also thought some things about him, even if it wasn't his fault. So I'm just putting to you that these people were in opposition to this spiritual stirring because it was uncomfortable to them. It was not familiar to them. They had grown familiar in their everything settled and this is just how it is. This guy's, this, this guy's over here. He's kind of confined to the tombs. This is how things are. And so if anything changes outside of that, then we're a little bit worried because we don't know how to handle that. That's like sheep. That's like church. That's like people everywhere. That's like me. That's like you. Verse 16 and 17. And they, they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. So the people that saw this happening, they came and said, hey, this is what happened. This guy did this and the swine did this. And they began, verse 17, to pray him to depart out of their coasts. So essentially these people rejected and were ungrateful for the stirring. They weren't excited about it. 
They weren't like jumping for joy. Hey, this man has been saved. They weren't excited about it. Why? Because they only saw how it affected them. Now you think about it, these spiritual opposition doesn't always only come in the form of bad spirits. It can come in the form of a bad spirit. Because I read this passage often and I just think about the, the legion, I think about the, the bad spirits, the devils that came out of this man and you know all, everything that's associated with that. But really the problem here, the opposition to the spiritual stirring was a bad spirit in the people of the town. That was the opposition. They told Jesus, get out. It says that he was, they were praying him to depart out of their coast. So they were the ones who didn't like what he was doing. It wasn't actually the, the devils. I mean, the devils knew his power. The devils actually had respect unto Jesus because they know who he is. But it was these people that they, they were the ones who had a problem. They were the ones who had opposition. Their swine, 2,000 of them, was their livelihood, their business, and now they were gone. Like you think about it, that's pretty significant. That's, if, that's your business, that's your livelihood, that's, that's what you own, that's your money. That's gone now. I can understand why they're upset, but the problem is that that's, what, that's all they were focused on. They were only focused on that. They weren't focused on the fact that this man was now helped. And, by extension, they could also get help from Jesus. It's almost like, that's great that you help this guy, but you don't know how we operate here, and you're kind of making a mess of things, so can you please leave? That's kind of how they treated Jesus. So God stirs, and sometimes for God to do that work, it requires a bit of mess to be made. Like that sand, just a mess. The stuff that they drudge up from that, in that hose, there's all sorts of things there. It makes a mess. Stirring makes a mess. Some other problems or attitudes are exposed. Some heart felt, some heartache felt. A change of priorities is uh, shown to us. That's uncomfortable. Even though there's something really good taking place, there's some other things that come with it. And we don't always like that. Everyone knew this man and knew how he was. They knew the problem. They knew what it was like. But I think they just grew a little comfortable dealing with it in their own way. They were familiar with it, which is why they didn't appreciate attention being drawn to that area. And it can be the same in church. It can be the same in families. It's like we know that there's a bit of an issue there. We know that something's you know, not quite right or should be better. Um, but we're kind of dealing with it how we want to deal with it. That's a little bit comfortable, not too confrontational. And then when God does a stirring and he's doing a work and that starts to get stirred up and then you see, oh, actually, maybe there's some bigger issues at play. Maybe I'm part of the problem. Maybe I have a bad spirit. Like, we don't like that. But God's still going to do it. Why? Because there's value to come from it. Because, he, yeah, maybe he wants that person to change, but maybe he wants your heart to change a little bit too. Man, I could tell you so many times I've thought, I need to pray for that person that, you know, they get that right or whatever, whatever. And God just goes, you need to get it right. You need to get yourself right. You need to get how you think about people right. Like, whatever it is, so many times. God always is pinpointing the heart. He's always pinpointing the heart. Whatever he's talking about, teaching about, he's pinpointing the heart. 
When he's stirring, he's pinpointing your heart. When he's stirring in someone else's life, guess what? He's pinpointing your heart. Look at it. Look at them. See what they're doing. What do you need to do? How can you encourage them? Pinpointing your heart. But we oppose it. And it's not the demon's fault. It's because we don't like change. We don't like to be uncomfortable. So we need to be careful we don't just blame spiritual opposition on demonic forces. Sometimes it's just those that are familiar with the one being stirred. Family and friends. But that's not the end of the story. Praise the Lord. Lastly, spiritual stirring brings spiritual outcomes. Spiritual stirring brings spiritual outcomes. Have a look at what happened here. Verse 18 to 20. We're just going to read these ones. Verse 18. And when he was coming to the ship, that's Jesus because he got told to leave. He that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Not only did this man now have freedom from oppression, this stirring caused him to desire a closeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. It says that he asked Jesus, Can I be with you? Or can you be with me? Can we like can we stick together? Unfortunately, this man was not called to be one of Jesus' disciples. But because of what Jesus had stirred up in this man, he now had a desire to be close with him. He now could think for himself and say, hey, that's my saviour. That's who I want to spend time with. That's who I want to be with. That's who I want to get influence from. That's who I want to learn from. I want to be like the disciples. That's probably what he was thinking. I want to spend my time with this man. But he wasn't called to be a disciple. At the start of the chapter, it was the devils, the spiritual oppressors that brought this man unto Jesus. No choice before, he was like just pushed towards Jesus when he had those devils inside of him because they were the ones who wanted to speak to him. This man almost like mindlessly is like pushed towards Jesus and then a conversation takes place and then all of a sudden he's clear. All of a sudden his life's changed and then he sees, that's my saviour. Now he's saying, I want to be with you. I'm coming unto you. I actually want a relationship with you. That's the spiritual outcome that comes from spiritual stirring. That people say, no, I want to. You know, there's a young man that got saved last year in our school and been praying for him, working with him a little bit and, you know, trying to help him in different areas and seeing some spiritual growth and all that kind of stuff and just encouraging him, hey, you need to be in church. Like, I can talk to you and you can do your Bible reading and you can pray and all that stuff, but God designed the church for people to grow. You need to be in church. And I was very careful. I didn't want to be like harassing and like just like nagging all the time about it. But something happened a couple of months ago and he just said one day, I want to come to church. I want to come to church. Not, oh, you convinced me to come to church. I actually want to now. I actually think I need to. I think I, I need it. I think I need to just be around other Christians. This is what he said. And I hadn't spoken to him about it for a little while, and he just said, he just said that. And I just thought, man, that's spiritual stirring going on. That's a spiritual outcome taking place. 
And going back to what I said before, spiritual opportunities, we can like encourage that in people. We can pray for that in someone else's life. And so this man here, he's deciding now, I want to be with Jesus. But like I said, he wasn't called to be a disciple. But he was called to be a witness. In verse 19, Jesus basically says, go and tell your friends, great commission, just go and share it. That's basically what he says in verse 19. You know, a good shepherd Baptist church, and it's not the building, we already know that. It's the people that are saved and called out, called the church. We're never going to be a good witness for him if we don't desire a closeness with him. How hard is it to to try and share Jesus Christ with someone if you actually don't want to be with Jesus Christ? So we need to make sure that we desire to be with him. We need to make sure we're responding to his, his stirring so then we can fulfill that great commission and we can be a witness for him. And we're not going to desire a closeness with him if we haven't recognised, accepted and responded to his stirring. So if you're coming to church this morning just because it's like, well, I come to church on a Sunday, good. But let's make sure that we're coming to church because we recognise that we actually get stirred spiritually here and there's spiritual outcomes that can take place because of it. Make sure we're coming to church because we get stirred spiritually. But guess what? The person around us gets stirred spiritually and we can help them in that. So I'd encourage you, if you don't come to Sunday night church or Wednesday night church, then come along. You know why? Because it is different. It is different people. It is different message. It is different stirring. It is something different for you. It's something different that you can input in someone else's life. It, it's all different. But it's all part of what God's doing in this place. Hey, maybe you don't know what's happening in other people's lives because maybe you're just not around them enough to find out. I know. I'm getting a little bit too uncomfortable with you, aren't I? Because I know I'm preaching to the Sunday morning crowd, but I'm also saying we're a church. We're here Sunday night. We're here Wednesday night. We're here in people's lives. We pray. We text. We phone call. We meet. All sorts of things. And God's called us to encourage that stirring amongst each other. He wasn't just called a witness, he went and witnessed, verse 20. It's one thing to be called, but it's another thing to actually do it. People marveled. Well, which people? The Bible says all men did marvel. Verse 20 says that he went to those in Decapolis and told them what Jesus done. That's an area of like 10 cities. I don't know how much into each of those cities he went, but that's a big area. And it says that all men marveled. You know what the Bible doesn't do? It doesn't exaggerate. So I'm pretty sure that this guy was famous or rather infamous in these different areas. People would have known about him. And then now they see he's clothed and in his right mind and he's telling what Jesus has done. And it's not just a fanciful tale. They would have seen the difference in his life. They would have seen this guy has met with somebody that has changed him. And they marveled. You know, better than any Marvel movie, this is real life change. This is real stuff. All men marveled. The souls of those in Decapolis were worth the 200 swine that were destroyed. Easy. 
easy. But some of those people didn't think that because they were still focused on how it affected them. So we've got to make sure that we don't look at things like that. We don't, we've got to make sure we don't look at the spiritual stirring like, oh, what did I get out of it only? But what did someone else get out of it? You and I won't encourage another in being a witness if we bring a bad spirit in response to what God is stirring up. And these are the big picture things we need to keep in mind when going through some stirring. That there are spiritual outcomes that please the Lord and reach more people. Now that guy, maybe he tried in his own area and they didn't respond, but he just continued to go. He just continued in those different cities and there was a response, a good response. You know, we've been praying for lives to be changed here in this church. I have been, I know others have been, and we've seen that happen. We've been praying for our ministries to develop and we've seen that happen. And for our church to be used, and we've seen that happen. So God's definitely been stirring, but guess what? He's not finished. He's still stirring. Because we haven't arrived as a church. Our ministries haven't arrived. We're not perfect. There's more work to be done, more people to be input into those things, more people out there to be reached, more souls to be saved. There's people sitting in here this morning and you're not a Christian, and you haven't had that change that Jesus has made in other people's lives, you need that as well. We're seeing spiritual outcomes because of the spiritual stirring, so we need to continue to pray for that and work together as a church to see that happening so we can glorify the Lord. We desire a relationship with Jesus Christ and seeing him work and being a part of it and also getting in there and helping him stir up. It's on us to recognize the stirring, accept the stirring, and respond to the stirring. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we get to open your word and we get to see examples, Lord God, of how you challenged people's thinking. But Lord, not just their thinking, you challenge their hearts. And Father, as we read these things that are truth, not made up, not fairy tales, we we are also challenged, we are also stirred, and our heart is also affected, Lord God. And, and Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that you understand the human condition. I thank you that you understand that we are sinners by nature and that, Father, we can lean towards the comfortable and the easy. But, Lord, I thank you that you make a way through that, that, Father, you are able to save us, you're able to uh, change our heart, change our thinking, change our outlook, Lord God, change the outcome, Father, of stirring, and we just thank you that you do care enough for us to stir us up. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each one that's here, each one that makes up the church, Lord God, and we thank you, Father, that you continue to do a work in us and through us. I pray you'd help us to recognise your stirring in our midst. Help us, Lord, to be a church that prays for your stirring. Help us, Lord, to be a church that gets involved in each other's lives and to encourage those who are making decisions and to find prayer partners, Lord, to, to help us in times where it's difficult for us to pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to respond to the stirring each week, even through the preaching of your word, through the spiritual conversations that take place, Lord God. Help us not to get distracted, I pray. 
Lord, I thank you that you care enough to find value in stirring us up. Lord, things that we probably don't see, you see. I pray you would help us, Lord God, to reflect you, to glorify you, to give you honour and glory. And Father, we thank you for this time together. And we do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.